extremely cold temperatures over the weekend across BC drove peak hourly electricity demand. That's the uh, hour customers use the most electricity. It was driven to a record high level on Friday night when it reached 11,300 megawatts. Now, despite the record-breaking demand, BC didn't have to uh, require imports from other markets and they were able to provide support to Alberta and, uh, and the Pacific Northwest over uh, the, the the weekend. That includes about 200 megawatts, which was sent over to uh, Alberta. Now, certainly a rosy press release came from BC Hydro today. Of course, it didn't mention the challenges before the utility. BC Hydro had said they will issue a competitive call for power in the spring of 2024. Uh, before then, BC Hydro is conducting extensive engagement to gather input from First Nations and, and independent power producers on how they will approach the need to acquire 3,000 gigawatt hours per year of power. That's a lot of power. Uh, this, of course, uh, means the request for proposal will officially launch at the beginning of April April of 2024. Now, what uh, happened this weekend certainly caught the attention of uh, Premier David Eby. He was very uh, supportive of what happened and regrets of providing power to Alberta, but he also talked about what BC Hydro needs to be doing moving forward towards a low-carbon uh, future. Take a listen to what the Premier had to say earlier today. What we have encouraged BC Hydro to do uh, is to plan for increasing demand for electricity in our province. Uh, we have major energy project proponents like Fortescue uh, coming to Prince George to say they want to open a green hydrogen plant using BC electricity. is a massive economic opportunity for Prince George. They need 1,000 megawatts of power to do the, the size of project they want to do. They are one of 19 green hydrogen proposals for our province. Uh, so there's a huge opportunity for us if we can scale up our power. Uh, and as you can see, BC Hydro can deliver uh, in a crisis, and I'm grateful uh, for them to be able to do that uh, with our neighbours in Alberta and Washington State. Uh, but there are way more uh, advantages that we can derive from our low-carbon electricity here in British Columbia, uh, which is why we've done the first uh, power call with BC Hydro uh, in, uh, in a long time uh, for renewable electricity, 500 megawatts, uh, and uh, why we're expanding our northwest transmission lines to deliver more electricity to different places in the province for heavy industrial use. That was Premier E.B. speaking earlier today. Of course, this is all occurring as construction of Site C continues. Once completed, Site C will provide 1,100 megawatts of capacity, uh, and that would be enough to power the equivalent of 450,000 homes or, and I emphasize or, 1.7 million electric vehicles per year in British Columbia. You can't do both, folks. Uh, that's all I'm trying to say here. Uh, but certainly, uh, many have argued that it may be the last hydroelectric, uh, major hydroelectric uh, uh, project in our province. Uh, joining me now to talk a little bit about this issue is Richard McCandless. He's a retired senior BC government public servant. Mr. McCandless is also an intervener in the uh, BC Utility Commission's reviews of BC Hydro and ICBC's rate requests. Uh, Richard, thank you for joining us today. Yeah, it's a pleasure to be with you, Jeff. Lots to talk about here. Uh, I was very curious with what was happening over the weekend and, of course, news out of Alberta and their challenges. What was going through your mind as you were watching the news and, and hearing all that was happening? Well, it sounded a little bit like uh, we're having our Texas up in Alberta, but and they were having problems a couple of winters ago. Mm-hmm. Um, but the more I read about it, uh, Alberta had a series of problems that all occurred at the same time. They had a couple of natural gas plants that were down for maintenance. They had uh, no wind for a couple of days, so their uh, wind turbines weren't producing electricity. And uh, they were right up at the edge, and so they had to put out an alert. And luckily, the people in Alberta cut back on their usage, and then they, uh, Saskatchewan was able to help them out, and BC apparently sent 
200 megawatts, but we don't know for how long that was an hour, or a day, or we don't have any idea about that. Mm-hmm. Uh, moving forward, uh, obviously, uh, uh, you know, there's going to be a call for power by BC Hydro. Um, from what you have read, and I know you follow BC Hydro very closely, um, your sense of where we're headed, is this going to be smaller hydroelectric plants? Or are we going more towards wind and solar, uh, geothermal? What's your sense of where you think hydro is going? Oh, it seems pretty clear that most of it's going to be wind power. Um, the small uh, hydro, also known as run of the river, um, that was pretty much taken care of in the last two or three calls. And uh, and those are, they have their benefits, but they also uh, don't provide power uh, in certain times of the year, either in the dead of summer and the dead of winter. They tend to be producing power in the fall and spring when we have a lot of participation. Mm-hmm. Participation, And uh, so they have limited usage. Uh, so I think it's mainly going to be wind and uh, perhaps some solar as well. Uh, before, and there's going to be skeptics of both, uh, and I understand that. Wind's not always there. The sun doesn't always shine. That I understand. But can we meet, in your opinion, our uh, uh, energy needs with a growing population, significantly growing based on immigration levels. At the same time, as you've mentioned many a time in your papers, uh, huge demand from the industrial side, uh, whether it be LNG, whether it be other projects that are being proposed, the Premier hinted at that as well. Are, are we going to be able to meet the needs of the British Columbia of, of, over the next 10 or 15 years that is emerging? I don't think so. Um, the Listening to what Premier Eby said, I mean, he sounds like someone who's looking to October for the election and trying to be uh, giving all things to all people. Mm-hmm. Um, there has to be choices. There has to be trade-offs. Um, I put a paper out back, and I think it was August, about it's going to be a lot more expensive and di- more difficult than is what we are led to believe, especially by the environmentalists and by some of these politicians. Um we are lucky in BC. We have our hydro dams. We have our reservoirs. Mm-hmm. Um, they act as like large storage batteries for power. Um, we have hydro has a, about 98% of their power is coming from uh, hydroelectricity, and, and we're we're lucky that way compared to places like Saskatchewan and Alberta uh, that don't have that hydroelectricity. Um, so we we can pat ourselves on the back about <clears throat> being green, but um, it also is um, <clears throat> high risk to have all your eggs in one basket. Mm-hmm. We don't have diversification. So w- when you say you're skeptical, um, it, you know, when you look at uh, wind farms, you see them in Alberta, you see them all along the West Coast in the United States, uh, solar as well. Many have talked about solar's costs coming down. Why are you so skeptical of, of wind power or some, or even just a, that green transition? What, what, what holds you back? And I'm sure you obviously know very well about climate change and all those things. You see, you see it, you follow it. What, why are you so skeptical? Well, I'm not skeptical of the change. I'm skeptical about the price. Mm-hmm. I mean, the uh, notion is it's going to be reliable and affordable. And, uh, and the, we keep being told that. But um, intermittent power is not reliable, so it has to be backed up. And where there are not reservoirs, they have to use things like batteries and things to, to have extra power when it's needed. 
um, when the wind's not blowing or the sun isn't shining. Mm-hmm. Uh, we here, again, are lucky. We can um, basically re- refill the reservoirs with uh, wind and solar if necessary um, and then use it later. But um, it comes with a major cost. Uh, it's to, to put in all this new power that the premier seems to want to um, to use um, our, our green electricity to produce green hydro. I mean, it's, uh, sorry, green hydrogen. Mm-hmm. It, it has, it raises a few question marks. Do you think and we do have these other demands, as you say, mm-hmm. um, especially with compressing uh, natural gas to liquid natural gas and exporting it, which is going to help reduce carbon in other jurisdictions. Um, but that comes with a huge cost of electricity to do that. Now, Richard, as you and I have been speaking, a couple of hours ago, we learned that uh, um, Capital Power Corporation from Alberta um, it wants to work with Ontario Power Generation in regards to potential nuclear energy for the province of Alberta. Uh, this is also in the last little while. They want to build a, a new first nuclear reactor by 2035. Speculative, lots of conversation in and around that. Could we ever do and have that conversation in British Columbia, have that conversation about perhaps going the nuclear route? Well, I think we need a conversation about our whole planning for our energy future period. Mm. Uh, we've been far too reliant just on the government of the day and BC Hydro um, saying what it shall be. Um, the And the government of the day, and, uh, and the Premier had said this not too long ago, is not going to consider nuclear. Um, it should be on the table, especially with these smaller nuclear reactors that are kind of in test mode right now. Mm-hmm. Um, the the other thing that needs to be on the table is natural gas. BC has lots of natural gas, and it can be used if we can uh, do proper carbon capture mm-hmm. to generate fairly low-cost electricity, uh, far, far cheaper than building a Site C. Um, and that doesn't seem to be on the table either. And all we're talking about now is wind and solar. Geothermal is not on the table yet. Uh, I don't know how big that might be in BC. There's certainly possibilities. But we seem to be not being allowed to, to look at uh, the full spectrum of alternatives. And uh, if we learned anything from the drought, which is uh, actually still continuing mm-hmm. or may continue for next year as well, uh, we cannot be as reliant as we are currently on hydropower. Um, it's it's uh, turning out to be unstable if we're looking at a drier, warmer future. Mm-hmm. So in your mind, is this just a case of where we're, we're uh, lunging too quickly to a green future and instead perhaps reassessing and saying we want to get there, but it, it is perhaps a longer journey and we still have to have stable energy along the way. This is the question of maybe we need to slow down a little bit in regards to that energy transition. Yeah, I think so. And I think that we got to bear in mind, and I think the politicians will do this, uh, looking at what happened with the reaction around um, carbon tax, mm-hmm. um, that um, it's all well and good to put this on paper. But when it actually hits people's pocketbooks, there's a reaction. And... Um, People in Alberta certainly are not going to be too happy with their facing blackouts because of um, federal rules around trying to eliminate fossil fuels from electrical generation. Um, 
it, it just it doesn't seem to be in proper balance. It seems in many ways, as I listen to you, that the low-hanging fruit of decisions are done when it comes to energy in this province. And, and we've made some, you know, some big things that we've done in regards to hydroelectric dams that we built across this, this great province, which we have done. And at the same time, we, you know, have some of the lowest electricity rates. But one would argue now we have to be a bit more serious in regards to what route we wish to take and how fast we need to get there. Yes, definitely. Um, we've, you know, we've got to give credit to the uh, previous generations who, uh, pushed ahead with the dams on the Peace River and, and other dams related to the Columbia River Treaty. Um, we've been living off that for two or three decades at least, maybe more, mm-hmm. maybe five decades. Um, but we now have to get uh, a little more serious than we have been about about uh, where we're going in the next couple of decades because the, the plan that Hydro put out even under their accelerated scenario says we've got to have got to acquire about 14,000 up to 20,000 more gigawatt hours in the next uh, 10 years. That's a huge amount of power. Uh, and it might be more than that if, if uh, the government goes ahead with this uh, hydrogen plans mm-hmm. um, and all the uh, LNG plans. Um, <laughs> One would assume somewhere, somewhere along the way, these projects have to fall off. There's no way we can power all of them. The, the huge demand not in, just for, not in the timeline that they're looking for. Yeah, I, I, I just don't see it. One more large LNG plant, a hydrogen plant. That's a lot of energy. That's probably Site C, all the uh, power that Site C would produce. Never mind just the natural growth in homes oh, and it's, people. It's here. three or four Site Cs. Yeah, um, it's, it just wouldn't, it, it can't happen. So, Richard, I always appreciate your time. Thank you so much for your time today. Look forward to having you on the show again today. We're working on an energy series for, for late March. I look forward to having you on the show at that time as well. Thank you so much. I'm just going to plug my BC Policy Perspectives blog uh, if people want more information. And it, so it's just, it's just BC Policy Perspectives, if they just Google that? Yes, that's it. All right, I'd highly recommend it. Thank you so much, Richard.